out here tonight, Leviticus 18, or 19. Last week we looked at Leviticus 18, uh, which goes into great detail, remember, about sexual immorality. And uh, we saw how that those things spoken of there in chapter 18 of Leviticus uh, are reiterated in the New Testament, a part of God's moral law. And we saw when it comes to sexual immorality, it's quite simple, that absolutely God uh, created man, He created woman, He brought them into holy matrimony, and absolutely sexual relations uh, were created for and meant for one man and one woman and holy matrimony. And indeed, the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And it's quite simple, every uh, sexual expression outside of that holy matrimony, it's sinful. And um, it, is, it is deemed uh, wrong in the eyes of the Lord, and it is to be confessed and repented of. And uh, a, a, a professing Christian is not called to be uh, a, a, you know, a practicing uh, fornicator or whatever it would be. I know there's times when there's struggle in that. And those are things you want to be bringing to the Lord. Those are things you want to confess as sin. Those are things you want to get accountability concerning. You don't want to be in a place where you just roll over and say, well, this is just how I am. Listen, uh, you know what? Fight the good fight, amen? Uh, part of the mark that you're a believer is that uh, you're wanting to abound in Him, and you're resisting those things, and you're calling sin, sin. And God is very gracious and merciful. He knows we're but dust. And he is blessed when we're honest with him and we are humble. So I encourage you with that tonight. And I'd also, you know what, caution people because there's a real tendency today to take Christian and then tack on, uh, you know what, all of these sexual sins and bring them together. And I am a, you know what, I'm a gay Christian or I'm a fornicating Christian and all this. And listen, you're either a Christian or you're not. And remember we saw there that it says in, 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified. And, um, you know, just because we have an unction or a tendency toward, towards a certain sin, that doesn't mean that, that we are to uh, appease that. If we appease all our, our, our you know, what, natural thoughts that come, came to our mind, it, we, we live in a world of utter anarchy, and it seems like we're kind of on the cusp of that anyway, you know. Uh, we're not called to be brute beasts, but walk with a self-control and call sin, sin, and absolutely look at things truthfully and the way God's designed them. And those things always fall in line even with nature, one man and one woman and holy matrimony. And so tonight here we come to chapter 19 and we see a continuation of God's heart being poured out, um, God law, God's laws being laid down in more detail than uh, we even get with those Ten Commandments. We'll see tonight there's some of this at the ceremonial law that is, you know, fulfilled in Christ that uh, were kind of laws given there to Israel to keep them separate from the nations around them as they were called to be separate. And we're called to be separate as well. Uh, but some of these areas is, is, as followers of Christ today, we have a freedom in Christ, but we use our freedom to glorify Him. You know, not for self-promotion and sin, so we'll talk about that. And then for the most part, these things are all reiterated in, in the New Testament. These are, these are sinful things. These are things that when we come to Christ, we're washed of. And then as followers of Christ, we're called to shun. God's called us, again, not to legalism, but He's called us to live a holy life. And, and a holy life is a life that is lived unto His glory. And these things talked about here definitely don't glorify God. They're not loving our neighbor. They're not loving God. And so forth. So let's just start in here. We got quite a bit to look at. Hopefully, we can get down through the whole chapter, and um, I won't I won't go off rabbit trailing too much on 
a few of this, these things. But if, if, if the Lord leads me to rabbit trail, then praise God, hopefully I'll rabbit trail. But sometimes we're chasing rabbits and not being led by the Lord in that. So let's, let's look at here the first few verses. It said, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now notice, this is all coming from the Lord. And the Lord is telling this to Moses, who he used to write the first five books of the Bible. It is, you know, it, uh, his spokesman here uh, to Israel and giving them his word. Uh, he is a type of Christ and that he was used as a vessel to help bring deliverance from, from Egypt uh, to Israel. And uh, again, there's pictures of, a lot of pictures of Christ in that and that he has delivered us from our sin. Jesus has in his death and resurrection. And so the Lord is speaking to Moses, and notice he says, speak to all the congregation. It doesn't say part of the congregation. It doesn't say, you know, a third or a half or two-thirds or three-fourths, but this is for all of the congregation of the children of Israel. This is God's heart. It's his mind. It's his word for everybody. And we got to understand with God's word, there's no partiality with him, and there's no partiality with his word, that his word is written for the body of Christ, his word is also written for mankind to bring them all to a place of repentance. And there's a lot of people that say, well, your truth, your truth, and my truth, my truth. Listen, there's only one truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. And his word is truth. It is true for every generation. It is unchanging. A lot of people think that, you know what, God's word doesn't apply to today. That's nonsense. It is for every generation. And it has stood the test of time. And it will continue to stand the test of time. And we see right here from the beginning, as the Lord is giving Moses his word, this word for all the congregation, he says that they are to be holy as the Lord God is holy. And again, this chapter lays out a lot of guidelines for holy living. And holy living, or to be holy, it means to be set apart from the world. Here they are, you know, coming out of Egypt, where they had been tainted a lot by Egypt. And the Lord was wanting to get Egypt out of them. And they hear they're getting ready to go in Canaan. And Canaan was very rebellious. And the Lord wanted them to be separate than, than, uh, or separate from the Canaanites. So the holy means to be set apart from the world. It means to be pure. It means to be upright. It means to be sinless. And our God absolutely is sinless. He is pure. He is upright. In him there is no darkness at all. There's no shadow. There is no turning. And though he came into this world to die for sinners, he's separated from this world in that he does not walk with the mindset of this world and you know what, approve of the rebellion of this world. And so he says, I am holy, and I'm calling you to be holy. Well, in of ourselves, we're in trouble because in of ourselves, we cannot, uh, we are not holy, and we cannot walk in holiness, but praise God, he sent his son to make that way of positional holiness and dying for our sins, and yes, you're going to get the gospel once again. We are saved by grace through faith in him and the atonement of the cross and back then, they were really saved by the same principle. The Lord had not come yet uh, to the earth and gone to the cross. But remember, all these sacrifices, everything that was being implemented was painting the picture of the one who would come. I mean, the Lord used the blood of a lamb to deliver them out of Egypt. It was a picture of Jesus when he started his ministry. John the Baptist, remember, he proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as he came to shed his blood for them. So they were saved by grace through faith. And the Messiah who is to come. We're saved by Jesus who has come. And that's the only way we can be positionally holy with God. And then from there, he has called us to live holy lives. 
to live life set apart for him, not to live like the world lives, not to bring the mindset of the world into the church. And, you know, there's one thing between technology and cultural changes, big difference, though, between embracing sin, excusing sin, uh, making provision for it, and so forth. That's what the world does. The Lord has called us to live unto him and to live by faith and to be a people that that is our aim, to live for the Lord. And there's life found in that. There's joy found in that. There's fellowship with God found in that. We also need to know that, again, this isn't just some Old Testament principle, um, but this is a call that we have. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. This was the theme of our men's retreat this past year. We talked a lot about this with the men uh, up north there at the campgrounds, but I want to read it. And let's just drink it into our hearts. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So rest your hope on that tonight, right? The grace that we brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's awesome. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance. And, and conforming means there's no resistance. It means I'm allowing something to shape me. And he says, don't be conformed to your former lust, the way of the world, your sin nature. He goes on to say, um, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And here's Peter quoting right out of Leviticus. This is a call for us and our conduct. Again, positionally we're holy, not because of our conduct. We are holy by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if he's our Lord, we have a call in our conduct to be holy, to be set apart, to conduct ourselves as Christians, as followers of the Lord, not as we used to conduct ourselves in our former lust. And not only does the Lord save us, but the Lord wants to work in our, uh, work in our lives to help us to walk in that call that he has called us to walk in. He is so good to us. Now notice verse 3. He says, every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Keep my Sabbaths. And then we see a phrase here. We're going to see reiterated throughout this chapter. I am the Lord, your God. And so right off the bat, he says, honor your father and mother. And we see that this is given to us there in uh, the Ten Commandments. It's reiterated as well uh, in the New Testament. Uh, we see Paul speaking to this matter there in Ephesians 6.1. He says, children, obey your parents as in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, again, he says, honor your parents in the Lord. And so you're honoring them as the Lord would call you to, but also in the Lord, it means you honor them as you honor the Lord first. And generally speaking, most parents want what's best for their kids and ministers, you know, believers and non-believers generally want that. A lot of people are very ill-equipped today uh, when it comes to their children. But there are some people that are abusive to their kids, unfortunately. There are some that want to lord over their kids and so forth. Even once they become adults, it says you honor them in the Lord. And unfortunately, sometimes you've got to honor the Lord over individuals that are wanting to uh, have you honor them over the Lord. But generally speaking, again, um, this is a general call to a, to a parent that is wanting what's best for their children. As you honor them, it's going to be well for you because they're looking out for you. Also, there's a great truth in this that as a, a child is taught to respect their parent, to honor the parent who they see, you're setting up their soul for a good place of honoring God 
who they can't see. And when you see a child that's not disciplined, a child that is not taught to have a, a reverence for their parents, uh, Proverbs even speaks about how you're, you're setting their soul on a course towards health. Because if they're not going to honor their parents who put food on their table and are providing for them and loving them and so forth that are right before them, again, how are they ever going to come to a place of honoring the Lord? And so uh, this is laid down. God is wanting to set up a culture here with order in it. And order starts in the home. When you got disorder in the home, you're going to have disorder in a culture. And we see in our culture today, there's more and more disorder, isn't it? I mean, there's just more and more rebellion. There's more and more chaos. And then you look at the home. You look at it, at it under attack. You even look at the structure of a home. Again, a man and a woman coming together and then having kids. And that man being committed to raise those kids and so forth. But the more that is destroyed, the more of a fabric of a culture will be destroyed. And the more souls generally is, are destroyed as well outside of revival and people really repenting. He also says here, keep my Sabbaths. He doesn't say Sabbath, but my Sabbaths. Because the Sabbath was more than just the seventh day without work. Remember the seventh year, they were not to uh, plow their fields. They were, called to, they were to rest them and so forth. And eventually Israel would even go into captivity for 400 and 90 years because, uh, I mean, for 70 years, because for 490 years, they didn't honor that seventh year. So the Lord says, you're not going to let the land rest, then I'm going to take you into captivity while the land rests here for 70 years. See, God always, you, you, you can never fudge the books with God. He always, he always wins there at the end. Now, a um, couple things going on here. Listen, the Sabbath, it's meant to be a good thing. Uh, the Sabbath was uh, created man now wasn't created for the sabbath some people take the sabbath and and uh you know want to and and we're, we'll I'll get this in a second we're in a we're in a, in a in a new dispensation a new covenant but the sabbath was made for man to give him a rest and to give him opportunity to regroup and so forth and to say look at god has commanded us to rest so uh, I, I don't have to feel guilty in taking this day off you ever feel guilty in taking a day off and we're living in a culture that is just um, you know, there's some people that got a horrific work ethic, but it seems like there's a whole other group of people that all they ever do is work. And I think because they're working for themselves, plus uh, because the way things are structured, for these people that weren't work over here as well. Uh, and, you know, it, it jacks the prices up of everything. And there is a place practically for rest and for taking a day off and regrouping. And oftentimes you can get more done in six days when you rest on a seventh than if you do seven days in a row and you start stacking those up, you can start running on fumes. So it was created to give man a rest, but it was also created to give man a message. And the Sabbath is a picture there in the Old Testament, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the fact that we and our sin need to come to a place of rest. If you try to work your way to heaven, you'll never make it. If you want to be your own redeemer, you're going to be damned to hell. But Jesus Christ came to give us rest. In fact, he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe you brought a burden in here tonight. Listen, bring it before the Lord. Lay it at his feet. Cast your cares upon him, and this is where it takes a step of faith, knowing he cares for you. You're burdened down. you got to remember as a follower of Christ, the Lord cares for me. God's concerned for me. So, Lord, help me to lay this down before you. Maybe there's something that's there because you need to confess it. You need to, you need to let go of it. Sometimes, you know, we hold on to sin. It's a great burden. 
and, and sometimes it's just circumstance. But lay it down and lay it down knowing he cares for you. It's not, that, oh, don't worry about it. No, God cares about it. God cares about you. That's, that's truth there. That's substance versus don't worry, be happy. You know, listen, sometimes there's need for concern, legitimate, right? But even in those situations, we can know I can lay it down because God cares for me. And then again, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Before we came to Christ, we were lawbreakers. We didn't keep the Sabbath because we weren't at rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festivals or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And so is Jesus your Lord tonight? Can you say amen to that? Then you are honoring the Sabbath even right now. Now practically again, he says in the New Testament, one man considers one day above the rest, another considers all alike, let each be convinced in his own mind. And it says one man honors one day unto the Lord, the other doesn't honor it unto the Lord. And so if you got your own conviction, I work six days and I take this day off, praise God, take that day off to, to unto the Lord, but don't start judging others saying, well, they're going to hell because they're not taking my day off. If you're in Christ, you have entered into the Sabbath. And unfortunately, there are cults, and there are pseudo-cults, and there's people that I believe are cults that say they're not cults that even name their church after the seventh day. And you get down to the nitty-gritty, and they say, salvation is in Jesus, plus not working on the seventh day. And not working on the seventh day does not atone for my sins. The blood of Jesus Christ does, and me trusting in him. And I'm not a co-redeemer through taking a day off. I'm redeemed through a shed blood. And so again, it's a wonderful thing. It's sad though how people twist these things and distort them because they're ignorant of the law. Listen, the law is written for unbelievers to show them that they are sinners, they need to get saved. And it's a false gospel when we start saying I'm saved by grace plus keeping the law. We're saved by grace through faith and now we're called again because he's our Lord to walk in holiness. We desire that because he's our God and when we don't, he loves us so much, he's going to take us to the woodshed to get our attention. That's just the truth of the matter. He loves us so much. And then notice he says there, I am the Lord your God. And this phrase comes up over and over again through the chapter, I am the Lord your God. So as he's saying this, he wants to reiterate, this isn't coming from Moses. This isn't coming from men. I am the Lord your God. We have a personal relationship here. I'm on the throne. I'm telling you this in authority. Don't second guess it. But I'm also telling you this in love because I care for you. I want you to walk in my truth. Honor your parents. It can be good for you. Parents, raise your kids in the Lord. It will be good for them. Honor the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Let that land rest on the seventh year. It's going to be good for your soil. You know, we know a lot of things now that you didn't necessarily know back then. It's good for your soil to let that land rest. And plus, God's going to provide for you in that step of faith. You're going to have bountiful crops for those six years, more bountiful than if you plow it for seven. Then, of course, eventually they went into captivity, and God didn't want that for them. He wanted to walk in freedom. Verse 4, he says, do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molden gods. I am the Lord your God. And we know the Canaanites worshipped idols. They worshipped demons that were represented by, you know, whether it was the Nile River or a beast of the field or works of their hands. And the Canaanites, where they were headed to, uh, towards, did the exact same thing. And God says, don't do that. Don't turn to those things. Don't worship those things. Don't put your trust in those things. I'm the Lord your God. Trust in me. You know what? Don't make, you know, and even look at the, the, the so much, you know, the word is just so true. 
you're going to make something and worship it and call that your God? What kind of God is made by human hands? That, that's, that's not a God at all. And I talk about this, you know, when someone, there's all these different times in the scripture, Judges and, and Genesis where, oh, they stole my gods. Hey, get back here with my gods. What kind of God is that? That your God's going to get ripped off? That's not a God. That's a, that's a, 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 a knickknack to put on your mantle. That's not a God. But, of course, we know whatever man wants to start to worship, Satan will come in and sit on the throne of that. And, yes, there were things made, but then the, the enemy of our soul would come behind that because he wants to be like God and try to get that worship and try to get that reverence and so forth. And we know that today, in our culture, there's not necessarily people running around making little gods and worshiping them. But, boy, we do worship a lot of materialism, don't we? And we worship a lot of stuff. And, and we live in a culture where most put a whole lot of things above the Lord himself, and that's an idol. And as Christians, we are called to put him first, to honor him first. And it's amazing when we do that how everything else becomes manageable then and it falls in its proper place. Uh, Psalm 115, 3 through 8, though, what great commentary on idols. For them and for us, it says, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. They are the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And then notice verse 8. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Isn't that powerful? You're just like them. In other words... If you trust in this, you don't have life. Life's found when we trust in the Lord our God. And then there at the end of 1 John, 1 John 5, 21, he tells to us, little children, keep yourself from idols, amen. Because idols are always itching to get in that place above the Lord. And I think idols can even come in, you know, and, and I guess it's one and the same, but I think we can even be a place where we're pursuing God and yet sometimes things come in and they take a precedence over things that are more important. I, I've seen and I've seen at times where I've fallen in the trap where, yeah, I'm pursuing the Lord and so forth, but I'm allowing this other thing to come in and take precedent maybe over the attention I should be giving to my home or my family or my wife or whatever else. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm a devotion. I'm sharing my faith. But then all of a sudden there's so much devotion to the work the marriage has just got lost, but you're like, but I'm seeking the Lord, but isn't that still, it's, it's taking its improper place. So I think that's something for just to, us to consider and think about as well. And really in doing that, again, we're, we're outside of God's will when we allow that. Now notice verse 5 through 8. He says, and if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if it remains till the third day, it shall be burned in the fire and if it is eaten at all on the third day, it's an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the howl, howl offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Again, the Lord wanted a free will offering. All those offerings we looked at there, the first chapters in Leviticus, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, um, um, the, you know, the grain offering, they were, they were meant to come out of someone's free will. I want to worship the Lord. I, want, I need my sins forgiven. I want to bring an offering for my sin. 
uh, my sin nature, a specific trespass. I, I want to serve the Lord, so I want to bring a burnt offering as a, as a picture of the fact I want to honor God with all my life. You know, I want to bring a peace offering. I want to abound in the peace of God or a grain offering, which would be thanksgiving unto the Lord. He says, bring it out of a free will. Listen, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He, he wants our gifts to come from a heart that is given to him. Not, well, you don't have my heart, but I'm going to give you this. God doesn't need any of, of, of what we have. He wants that to come from a cheerful heart and a joyful heart and a heart of faith. And we see that reiterated again in our walks with Christ. And then practically, again, these offerings, they would be eaten. This wasn't wasteful. They weren't just sacrificing beasts and stacking carcasses and whatnot. Uh, this went to be the priest. There were times when they would take that offering and they would eat it and so forth. And practically, he says here, eat it on the day you offered or the next day. Um, they didn't have something back then called refrigeration. There was a practical side of this. He didn't want them to get sick and then have that affect the camp and have disease spread and so forth. We've seen over and over again how the Bible speaks to microbiology before they had an understanding of these things. And maybe they did have an understanding of these things and then men came to a place where they lost that technology and then we understand it again because the ancients were brilliant i mean they, they were brilliant and today you know that there's there's lost technology uh i saw a thing the other day from nasa and they said we've lost the technology to go to the moon this was nasa saying it out of their minds out of their own mouths and and then we can start going into some really weird conspiracy theories but out of their mouth we've lost the technology so maybe they did know microbiology but if they didn't know god was giving them a lesson in it you better eat this uh, that day or the next day, otherwise you're going to get sick and it's going to contaminate the camp. And um, there's going to be consequences in that. And I look at this as us followers of the Lord. God wanted them to eat that food while it was fresh. And I know the Lord wants us to have a fresh walk with him. He's the bread of life. And let's not live on, uh, on, 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 on moldy or on old um, fellowship with God. Let's seek him after day, uh, each day. Have a fresh walk uh, with with the living God. He wants to meet with you today. He stands at the door and he knocks each and every day. And and let's not find ourselves, you know, on Saturday night saying, well, I have a fellowship with the Lord since last Sunday. Hopefully this is just an encouragement for you to fellowship with him every day. And if your walk with him has grown stagnant, that's not on his end, it's ours. And he's knocking, open up that door and enjoy your Lord and abound in him. Notice verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And this was God's welfare system for Israel. Very practical. Leave the corners. There's other texts that talk about um, um, if, if produce fell off the cart. You were to leave it there. Remember Boaz and, and uh, Ruth. He like deliberately even has them kick some off the cart so she could pick it up. You know, just kick that right off the cart so she can pick it up there. And it was God's welfare system. God remembers those that are impoverished. He cares for them. Uh, and poverty can hit anyone at any time. Maybe he's here tonight and, and you know what, you're wealthy or you're blessed. And we are, very, we are a wealthy people comparatively to the history of the world and around the world. 
If you got a pair of shoes, if you got two pairs of shoes, you're pretty wealthy by the world standards. But poverty can hit uh, anyone at any time. And think about Job, his wealth and so forth, and how that was taken from him. We got to remember, God remembers the poor. He's called us to remember them. And really, we're not called, we'll get to the second, to enable the poor, but we're to remember them. And in that, you cannot give the Lord. Uh, Psalm 41.1, blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. But in this text, there's a great balance in this. Uh, There's some people today that, and, and it's sad how much this is infiltrating the church, this, you know, social justice warrior mentality that, um, you know, a part of the culture is supposed to bankroll another part of the culture that just doesn't want to work. That's not biblical. We're to remember the poor, but we're not to enable them. Because notice here, he says, when you reap the harvest of land, you don't reap the corners. You don't gather it all. But it doesn't say, then go back and scoop it all up and, you know, and make sure you drop it off at every household. The poor need to get up and go out there and reap the corners themselves. And there's a balance in that. We're going to make provision for you, but you got to get up and you got to go do it. Now, this would obviously exclude somebody that didn't have the ability to work. Um, Any culture, the Christian church better have a compassion on such individuals and, and... minister to such and so forth and um, but boy there's a lot of abuse of that isn't there and a lot of people that take advantage of that and that's not biblical uh, we know we've read it there before many times second thessalonians three ten. if anyone does not work neither shall he eat and if you're impoverished there in israel and you had the means to get up and go glean and harvest came and they didn't reap those corners and you didn't go up and glean it then you were hungry that night and that was on you And so there's a call to help the poor, but absolutely we're not called to enable. And we need to keep that in mind. And there's a lot of individuals, and I see it unfortunately even in our community, that have the ability to work and so forth, and yet they refuse to. And uh, we got to be led by the Lord with individuals, but at the same time we need to make sure we're not enabling that. And you don't have to feel bad about that. I was uh, at the 99 cent store a while back, and I see a young man, very fit, Looked very strong, very healthy. Looked like he was late teens, early twenties. And I see a family pull up in just a, a you know, a, a jalopy, or in my days they call it a hoopty. I mean, this just thing looked like a bucket of bolts. And they got out a mom and dad, three or four kids, and you could tell they didn't have a lot. And they go in and they come out, and this guy starts hitting them up for money, hitting them for money, and and. I could tell that the, the, the man was kind of intimidated and so forth. And he opens his wallet and he gives this guy a couple of dollars. And I had to bite my lip, man. I wanted to go and just chew that guy out saying, you know what, that's a hardworking family with those three kids. You could be working and you're here trying to get a few bucks from this guy so you can go smoke a pack of cigarettes. Son, you need to go and you, you, you need to go get a job and you need to go to work. And, and there's plenty of opportunities. There's plenty of places to shower. There's plenty of places to go to get help. We have, a, we have a system full of that stuff, and yet there's so many people. It's like the, the Proverbs where it talks about the sluggard. He's too lazy to even bring his fork to his mouth. And we're creating that in our culture. And you're not going to hear this in a lot of churches because they've been brainwashed by this nonsense. God created man to work when he was in the garden before the sin. I mean, before sin. And then afterwards, he said, now you're going to work by the sweat of your brows. So we want to have this balance. We want to have compassion. As a church, we try to have this. 
with our Open Arms Ministries. Uh, I feel like if someone is willing to make the effort to get here on Tuesday night, we're going to share the word with them. There's going to be some worship. You, you, you don't come in unless you're there to hear the word, right? If you, if you keep showing up at 645 it's, or, or at uh, 6.15, it's like the door shuts at 6 o'clock. And my, our heart is if they're willing to get here, then we're going to feed them a nice meal. We're going to give them some groceries. We gotta, I, I, I'm told we have the only clothing ministry in North County now. That might be wrong. We can provide clothing, uh, maybe even somewhere to stay uh, or a tent or something like that. Uh, and, and we have showers in our facility and so forth. But we're not going to enable it. Listen, I'm not paying someone's rent who, who squanders it on meth or heroin or whatever. And people sometimes, oh, I don't have to stay. I go, look, if people have been staying in tents and caves for 6,000 years, you're going to be fine. And there's steps that you got to begin to take. And, and you need to know this as believers because we are called to be good stewards of our resources. And we want to help. We need to be compassionate and so forth. Even to the kid that goes up to that family, but at the same time, we're not called to enable. And this is a beautiful verse of it. Hey, leave it. But they got to get up and they got to go, they got to go get that, the corners of those fields themselves. And there's a balance. And um, we need to walk in that. And, and our, our culture, our nation needs to be striving for that too. And I think we have a little bit more of that now. And some people are, are upset with that because they don't got their free Obama foam any, anymore. Um, but that's, that doesn't help any culture. It doesn't. Listen, the more you're dependent on the government, the more the government has control over you. And the more that, that you're dependent upon them for every meal, the more that they, they have the ability to starve you because all they got to do is quit giving you that food. Now, again, don't get me out of context. There's a balance in it. We should be a compassionate people. We should be a, a, a compassionate nation and not enabling and so forth. So hopefully that, that's my rabbit trail. Let's go to verse 11. <laughs> You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, and you shall not swear by my name falsely. You shall not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord your God. Again, this is just loving your neighbor, loving God. You don't steal. You don't lie. You don't cheat your neighbor. You do as uh, you would want done to you. And uh, again, God sees all this. The Lord says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. And in this, the Lord's going to see it. Uh, we, we know there was instruction, and we'll get into this later on, the consequences for these types of things. Uh, for them, when it came to stealing and cheating, it was more you're going to pay back double and triple and sometimes five times because it's not you're going to steal, and then we're going to take care of you for the next two years. No, you're, if you steal, there's going to be consequences. You're going to have to be paid back, and if you don't pay back, then you're going to be this guy's slave until the debt's paid. And a much better system, the way they had it set up and so forth. Um, and then he says, don't swear falsely by his name. Uh, again, he hears, have a fear of God. Jesus speaks about, I won't read it for time's sake, but in Matthew 5, through 37, uh, not to swear by heaven or earth or by the Lord. He says, but let your yes be yes, your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Uh, so let your yes be yes, your no, no. I think double, double side of that, don't swear by the Lord. Be honest with your mouth and do your best. If you say yes, even if it, it pains you, keep your word. And the other, and there's a lot of verses that speak to that. Then don't profane his name. Don't take it out of vain. Whether, whether it's cursing his name or just speaking his name with no reverence. Uh, and and I, I think there's, just, there's a lot of that in our culture. And we want to make sure we're not following it. We're called to be holy, right? We're called to be set apart. 
We're, we're called to honor God with our, with our mouth, not to defile our home and those that hear us with our language. And I know there's a lot, uh, a lot in the culture, uh, a lot of, you know, they talk about these cursing pastors and so forth and, uh, you know, uh, trying to be cool and whatnot. And uh, they're defiling the hearer and doing that. Well, I have freedom in Christ. Well, of course you do. But use your freedom to edify your brother and sister, not defile them with your words and so forth. And we need that reiterated because we our, our, the tongue can't be controlled in the first place. So when you get encouraged, just let your tongue run amok. That's just, that's going to get ugly real quick. Verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. And so, again, that stuff's not yours. So don't take from your neighbor what belongs to him. Do unto him as you would want done unto you. No one wants to live in a culture like that. I grew up in a community like that. If you left something out, it was gone. I didn't enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I think nowadays you pretty much got to lock your doors wherever you're at. And then he says to bosses, pay, pay your employees. They're, they're worthy of that wage. You, you need to pay them. Uh, years ago when I... Was a, was a drywall contractor and did construction. It was amazing how many individuals you'd work for them for three, four, seven, eight, sometimes three weeks straight, and then you're ready to get paid. And like, well, I'll send you a check in a month. I've been out here laboring. I bought all this material, and you're going to pay me in the month? Well, you know, the bank's got to issue that. Well, get down to your bank and tell them to issue it. I got bills to pay. In fact, we used to work for... And, and it's not huge. The county was a lot less developed when I moved down here, but in the 80s. And uh, Pastor Dwight worked for them, too. He was the draftsman. And uh, we were a contractor. And uh, they were the biggest builder in the county. And uh, they had the odds and easy ad all the time. And all the subs for them, you'd work, and you didn't get paid until 30 days after it was completed. Well, man, you're, you're stocking that thing with, with sheetrock. Maybe 10 days before you start because someone doesn't get an inspection or there's a storm or whatever else. And by the time you're done with this job, your, your bills do. And the reason, you know why the reason they did that? It wasn't a bank thing. They wanted to make interest off your money for the next 30 days. That's why it was done. They're no longer in business. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But we're going to give an account. And if you're an employer, take care of your employees. And you'll, you'll benefit from it. Um, it stinks when there's people in power that put their foot on others' necks. And if you're a laborer, then make sure you're earning your wage. Do your work as under the Lord, and, and God's going to bless you. Just a lot of truth here, a lot of practical truth. And then look at this. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But here, fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. The Lord sees that. That, that person that's deaf might not hear you sneak up on him, but God hears it. And the person that's blind might not see, see you sneak up, but God sees it. It's sad because in this culture, Israel got to a place where they believed that if someone was deaf or if someone was blind, it was definitely because of sin. And, and we talked about how these things can be related to sin. Really, when man fell, every, everything got messed up. But remember, there was a man that was blind, and the disciples said, hey, is he blind because of his sin or his parents? And he said, neither, so that God be glorified in his life when the Lord healed him. And so have a fear of God. Uh, he might not hear and the other guy might not see, but God sees it all. You better fear him. Because if we think we're getting away with stuff when we're sneaking around or we have a, 
a hardened heart to the hurting in a culture and those that can't defend themselves, God does not look kindly upon that. He really doesn't. And then he says again, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. The Lord's saying this. Verse 15. I don't think we're going to get through the chapter. But this is so rich. I love these chapters. I don't know about you guys, but I love this stuff. I love seeing it. And, and, and you look at even our establishment of our nation. So much is taken from the Bible. And you see so many laws, so many things that, that, that were, you know, brought right out of the scriptures um, and, and so forth. But verse 15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In, re- in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord your God. So again, he's not partial. So don't be partial to the poor, saying, oh, because he's poor, we're, we're going to cater to that sin. Or, you know, we're, we're going to uh, um, give a pass because of some gross transgression because they're poor. And because they're poor, that's why they did that. Now, again, there's to be compassion if someone was hungry or whatever. And, again, there was ways of retribution. At the same time, though, which is probably the more uh, weighty part of this, don't honor the person that's mighty. Oh, because they're mighty, we're going to bow down and cater them and be respecters of persons. Remember, James talks about this. If a poor man comes in, one that's fine dressed, don't you dare say to the, the, the poor man, you know, uh, uh, you know, you go in the back and the rich man come here and so forth. There's no partiality with God. And so he says, if you, if you, you judge, you better do it in a righteous manner. And I know some people are like, don't judge, but everyone judges. Everybody judges. We make judgments every single day. And I know some people cringe at the thought and those people that keep running around saying, don't judge. And I always say, how do you know I'm judging? Well, you made a judgment. So don't judge me and you're judging me. Otherwise, you would never say don't judge. See how that works? (laughs) It's just the truth of the matter. We have to make judgments. We need to make righteous judgments and biblical ones. And there's some things that only God can judge. But he says, don't be partial in it. Be righteous in it. Don't show partiality. And then, and again, these, these, are, these are all truths for today. Uh, don't go out, run around as a tellbearer. What's a tellbearer? It's one that tells tells. Tells stories, spreads gossip, and so forth. Running amok. We read, you know, on Sunday morning, our study in First Thessalonians, don't be a busybody. Tellbearers and busybodies go hand in hand. They disrupt. Proverbs 26, 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there's no tellbearer, strife ceases and have you ever been in a situation where there's just one individual this stirs up strife running around like a busybody make sure that's not you you know they're always going to be around just make sure it's not you and if you think it might be you then judge righteously and deal with it and bring it before the lord and this represents god and he had to tell that to that church in thessalonica which was an abounding church so you know we need to hear it today and then he says, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. And, and really the context here, it's the picture of, of a false stand. It's, it's the picture of a false witness uh, or an action that's going to cost your neighbor his life or livelihood. Just to be vindictive or try to get something that's his. And then it's reiterated, I'm the Lord. The Lord's throwing this down. Again, God the judge. The one who sees everything. The, the one that's going to that's gonna call all into accountability and praise the Lord for Jesus that we can be forgiven and washed. Verse 17, we'll go a little, a little more here. How long is this? We got uh, 
get about halfway mark and we'll stop. Verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So again, don't hate your brother in your heart. And the Lord said, if you hate in your heart, it says murder before the Lord. And we're not called to that. We're, we're, called, we're called to love. And we talk about this oftentimes because love, the word love has all kinds of different definitions and meanings by a whole lot of different people. Uh, nowadays, probably version of love is you do what you want to do as long as it's not hurting anybody and I'll do what I want to do no matter as long as I'm not hurting anybody and we're just loving each other. But usually a lot of that stuff that's not hurting anybody is actually hurting everybody. And this is the Lord and, and I've looked at this many times but I think we'll go back to it. First John 5, 2, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, we keep His commandments, and His commandments aren't burdensome. These things God's calling us to do, love. And of course, this would also be that call to forgive versus hating. Generally, people hate because of a reason. Oftentimes, something was done to them. Or maybe they're just, you know what, a, a, a mean-spirited person that needs to bring things before the Lord. But forgive them, move forward, and so forth. And again, the Lord said, hatred in the heart, it says murder in the eyes of the Lord. And then he says, rebuke your neighbor, uh, or, and you, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And I'll tell you, part of love at times is rebuking. Versus turning a blind eye to blatant sin. Sometimes you've got to call sin out. And a lot of times people don't like that. Sometimes you've got to call people to repentance. And they don't like that and they'll resist that and make excuses and lies and so forth. But the loving thing is to call it out. And there's a lot of gross sin today that people practice and think nothing of it, even justify it. Come up with little loopholes and stuff for themselves that this isn't in the Bible. Remember, this was written, this is a word for all the people. There's not a loophole over here for you. Because you think you heard from God and he told you something that completely contradicts the word of God. And we better have a fear of God in this, because I think I think a lot of people don't, and and um, they don't rebuke their neighbor, they turn a blind eye to their neighbor, you know, because they don't want to cause any waves. They want to have a buddy versus being concerned for their neighbor's soul, and they don't have a fear of God that they're going to give an account when it came to truth and so forth. So part of love at times is rebuking in love, and that should always start with making sure that we're looking to ourselves first, that we're not pointing out specks when we got a big log in our own eye, right? And then he says, don't take vengeance. We talked about this recently again Sunday morning. Vengeance is the Lord's. And, and that's something we can rest in. Vengeance is God's. Let me focus in on spreading the gospel to get people into grace and out of that vengeance. Because we were under that vengeance too in our sin. And so let's leave that to the Lord. And we can also know that God hates sin and God's just. And if someone does not accept the, the death of Christ and the wrath he took, you know, it on himself for us, that justice is going to prevail. It is. God hates sin. He, he, is, he is an angry God when it comes to sin. He loves sinners, but he is ferociously he ferociously hates sin. He is holy. Remember, be holy because I am holy. 
He detests sin, and sin is not going to sneak its way into heaven. And I know we have a culture today that that's not talked about a lot. And many people say, you're hateful for saying that. No, I'd be hateful if I did not bring forth the truth that he is a holy God. And again, vengeance is his. And so don't go run around being Batman. It's his. He doesn't need vigilantes. And sometimes, again, Romans 13, he uses the government to bring forth the type of vengeance. And there's certain structures he puts in place. And then don't bear a grudge against people, children of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is reiterated throughout this. Um, you know what? Forgive. Roots of bitterness are not good. They, they don't bring forth a good crop. They don't bring forth the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They bring forth the works of the flesh. And tonight, if you have a grudge, tonight, if you have unforgiveness, uh, you need to lay that down. You need to bring it before the Lord. You need to be praying for God's blessing on whoever hurt you or did whatever, commit them to the Lord and get freed from that. So you can walk in victory and freedom and so forth. Um, we'll just, we'll stop there and pick this up next week. And I, I know we're turtle crawling here through Leviticus, but this is, this, this is, this is just good truth. And, um, you know, by God's grace, we'll get through, I, I'm fairly confident by God's grace, we'll get through the chapter next week. But uh, these are things for us to think about. And again, a lot of applications here for us and so forth. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Lord God, we bless you tonight. We praise you. We just thank you for your word, your goodness to us, God. I thank you that you care, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you that after man listened to that serpent and ate of that tree and said, I'll be my own God. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you cared. We thank you that you went and you found man, you called out to him when he was hiding, trying to cover his sin with his fig leaves, his works. You called him to accountability, and then you said, I'm making a way of salvation for you. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to crush that serpent's head. And oh Lord, we thank you that you're not a liar. We thank you that you fulfilled your word. Jesus, we thank you you came, and you bore the wrath to us upon yourself on the cross, and you defeated death, you defeated our enemies when you rose from the grave. And we thank you that tonight, by your grace, through faith in you, we have that positional holiness. We're no longer seen as sinners, as saints. What a wonderful thing. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, even tonight, fill us with your Holy Ghost. We, we pray that tonight, God, our faith has grown through looking at your word. Pray we'd be found abounding in you, God, or abiding in you, that we could abound in you. And, and God, live, live lives unto you, God. It's not holier than thouness, but it's holiness. That we could walk in fellowship with you, God, and hopefully shine, God, to a world that has a lot of darkness in it that needs Jesus Christ. And so tonight, if, if you don't know him, again, listen, today's the day of salvation, and now is the acceptable time. And it is time to call on the Lord your God and put your faith in him and call on his name, and he'll meet you where you're at. Lord, bless our fellowship the rest of this night. and. Just thank you for our time here. We pray all these things in Jesus' name we sit together.